We've been in a, um, this kind of mini-series that's been really great. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Jesus first. Last week, we talked about, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about um, home first. Last week, we started um, a, a, a couple of weeks here about putting others first, and last week was all about me first. Everything's all about me, right? That's the mentality that we kind of have when we run around in this world and in our culture. Our, cu- our culture definitely disciples us that way. Um, we talked a little bit about we've got you for one hour a week. And uh, the other 167 hours, you're discipled by culture. And culture is all about stuff, um, all about things. And so um, I want to just kind of talk about culture for a second because we live and breathe it. And therefore, we're in it, but it's important for us not to be necessarily of it. And so um, culture really is focused primarily on accumulating things and having things. That's what it's driven by, homes, possessions, stuff. And our culture is focused on acquiring that stuff and having that stuff. 55%, this stat's a little old, but 55% of Americans donated less than $500 in a year. And you think about that, and that isn't a whole lot of money. But what's interesting, when you throw that down with this idea, if you're doing the giving challenge right now and you're getting those texts in the morning, a couple of those workouts, one of them in particular, highlighted the fact that if you are a full-time, working full-time, so you're not a student but you're working full-time and you make $32,400 per year or more, you, my friend, are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. Now, some of you that are getting ready to graduate are like, $32,400 sounds like a great salary to me. But if you were to get that, that would be, you, would make, you would be in that upper echelon of who is, has the richest and has the most wealth in the world, the top 1%. Now, when you look at the church, the church, unfortunately, isn't a whole lot different. It's kind of like what we talked about last week. The church is, is very much made up of people from the culture. And so we have a battle within us to really live the way that Jesus shows us to live. So uh, in 2012, again, a little bit old, of an old stat, 12% of people admit to tithing, which would be giving 10% of their income. Now, that may seem like a lot for some of you, and some of you have talked to me and said, wow, that's a, that seems like a lot. And some of you have said, hey, that's an Old Testament thing, Joe. Awesome. Let's talk New Testament. That's all about generosity. You want to talk about that? If I have 10 M&Ms and I'm going to share them with and be generous to Katie, am I going to give her one of them? She'd probably call me stingy, right? So 10% isn't generous, but that's kind of like a bar that, that churches have, have, have set 12%, not a whole lot. 68% gave less than 5% of their income. And the impl- a implication, not the only implication, but the implication is this, that church, or the ministry, what we're doing here is less important than things. And it could be a lot of different things. It could be saving for something. It could be paying bills, whatever it may be. But here it is. The, the, there just is not a lot that we're giving away from our stuff. And so what is the result? The result is this. This is what these three weeks are about. The result is that um, putting others first is harder when we have a white-knuckle grip on the stuff that we have, right? When we find our meaning and our value in what we own and what we have, it makes putting others first very, very difficult and harder to do. And materialism creates this friction in our generosity. Everybody say friction. 
Nice. All right, good. So this is, this is what it does. And so if you're thinking about, man, why is it that it's so hard for me to give? Why is it so hard? Why do I really like, man, um, I don't think he's in the room, but man, Noah and I and, and his brothers, like he wanted an Xbox One. Like, dude, so Fortnite, like, let's go. Like he wanted it so bad, right? And man, it was like probably a week or so that he just hammered me every day. He's like, Dad, I've got the money. It's right here. I want it. I just come on, just order it. Let's go. And I'm like, slow down, man. Let's talk tomorrow about it. And it's a little late tonight. Amazon's closed. Like, we can't do that. So he knows that. But so as we talked it through, we came to like a, this moment where he was like, Dad, no, seriously, here's the cash. I want to get it. And we just had a, probably a good 45-minute conversation, and I pulled Micah and Jeremiah in the conversation. I said, like, what do you guys think? And they're like, I wouldn't do it. You need to buy a car in a couple years. Like, you need to do that and save your money and all that stuff. And basically, we had this conversation around the fact that it probably wasn't the best thing for him to use his money on, but man, did he want that Xbox One. He probably still does. Um, and so I kind of said, I mean, hey, dude, like, nobody in your family thinks this is a good idea. Like, just let's, let's put the brakes on. And so we kind of see just even when we're 15 years old, it comes on so strong. So how do we remove the friction? How do we remove this obstacle to putting others first? Because honestly, guys, some of the most joy that you'll ever experience is when you're able to serve someone else and to help someone else. But we're so focused on what we want and have that we don't do it. Well, I want to kind of just tap into a little thing, a little nugget that I got from a podcast this week that helps us think about gratitude versus appreciation. So gratitude and appreciation are many times kind of like thought to be the same thing. Like I'll be thinking like, hey Ross, man, you play bass on Saturday nights. I really, I, I'm really grateful for what you do in the band for us and I appreciate it, right? That's kind of like a combo thing, like gratitude and appreciation go together. But gratitude and appreciation are not the same thing. It's really interesting. First of all, gratitude is a choice. Like gratitude is something that no one can force you to be. You can't give gratitude because you're forced to do it. You have to choose to do it. That's a big deal. You have to use the agency that God gave you to willfully say, I'm going to be thankful for what I have. But appreciation is a little different. And this is, if you, if you take economics, any economics majors or finance majors, you know that over time, things hopefully appreciate, right? So what does that mean? That means that things become more valuable over time. And it's in relationship to other things. So really appreciation, and you guys should have a little fill in the blank that the guys passed out. This is that first one. Appreciation comes from knowledge and applied value. It means that we somehow understand the big picture of what's going on and we're like, oh yeah, this is awesome, like, and we apply value to that thing, so we appreciate it and can have true gratitude for it. My dad always said, you know what, um, you should be grateful for what you, what you have, but if I don't appreciate what I have, then being grateful is hard to do, right? So if I think about the fact that Ross works a job, he sometimes works Saturdays, sometimes works Sundays, sometimes is working through the week, he's got a little boy that's awesome, he runs through here like he owns the place, he's got a lot on his plate, he's trying to figure life out, and I think about the big picture of what Ross is dealing with, and then I say, man, Andy plays bass on Saturday nights, I say, dude, like I see the whole picture, I appreciate 
and I value what you do because I get it. Another quick example is uh, yesterday we sent our 12-year-old daughter out to Haiti, like you do, you know, see ya. Um, we're good parents, I promise. But uh, she left yesterday with about 12 team members, and um, we're heading out. And on Friday, her and her cousins and friends were over, and I said, you know what, let's talk about gratitude and appreciation. This is what happens when you're, like, in my house. It's stupid. Um, and, so, and so I said, like, when you go to Haiti, you're going to see God's big picture, you're going to see these kids that aren't going to have things like you do. They're not going to have the environment and the home like you do. They may not have parents like you do. I said, you're going to see the big picture. And because you see the big picture, you're going to value, I put a place a higher value on what you have here in your home, and therefore you can be more grateful for it. You guys catch that? But then I spun around and I said, but you know what could also happen is that you might go to Haiti and you're going to see God's big picture of his world and you're going to see these kids and you're going to see how happy they are even though they don't have very much. And you're going to see that maybe they're happier than a lot of people you see walking around here in America. And you're going to see God's picture and you're going to value what they have and the ministries that reach them and, and, and present Jesus to them. And you're going to see the value of that and you're going to appreciate their world more and be grateful for that, that what's happening there. And so these are the things that are kind of the backbone of today's message. And we're going to be in John chapter 6. I, I want to know if you want a Bible, raise your hand. I've got a couple of guys that will help you out real quick. Just raise your hand. We'll get there. John chapter 6. We've got some in the front row, Wesson. Going to make you work for it, man. Um, and John chapter 6 is going to be honestly the main passage we're going to be in. It will not be on the screen. But we're going to read through it here in a second. So, yeah, just raise your hand. We'll wait for a second as you turn to John chapter 6. And we're going to start with verse 1. And before we turn there, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word. Man, this story is one that maybe we've heard a hundred times if we've been around church. But maybe if we haven't been around church, maybe we've never heard this before. And so, God, what we are asking right now, Lord, is that we know your Holy Spirit is working and wanting to teach us. And so we open up our hearts, we open up our minds for you to teach us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Chapter 6 of John, verse 1, goes like this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he, was, uh, he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and he said, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, there's some gratitude, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had had all, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. No, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 
after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So that passage, right, that's one that we maybe have heard before. And let me just unpack a few details about it to give us context to what we're reading there. First of all, that, that, um, that miracle is the only miracle besides the resurrection that's actually recorded in all four Gospels. So there's some sort of importance to this miracle that was needed for us to hear because it was recorded four times. There's a lot of mountain things that are happening. There's a mountainside. There's a lot of mountain paralleling Moses. Passover was approaching. Um, the people wanted a new Moses. So they were kind of like in that mode. Jesus asks which disciple a question. Did you catch it? Philip. He asks Philip. He says, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? What's interesting is that Philip grew up in the town that was closest to this miracle. So basically Jesus was saying, hey, Philip, this is your stomping grounds. Tell me, like, you know all the grocery stores and the bakeries. Where would we get enough food to feed these people? Well, we know that it wasn't necessarily that he was thinking he was going to get an answer because he was testing Philip, as it says. Um, it's impossible to do that. Jesus performs a miraculous feeding of a bunch of people in the wilderness, just like Moses did. Jesus shows gratitude. We saw that. And everyone was able to determine when they had had enough. That's a key. They were able to say, it says, when they had had enough, then they were collecting all of the extra. And, and if you read the other Gospels, I think it's Mark, where Jesus and the disciples are talking as we're, they're talking about feeding these people. And Jesus um, kind of like, the disciples are basically like, hey, Jesus, like what the world, this is crazy. Uh, these people, what are we going to do? And he kind of he shuts them down a little bit and says, don't you know? Like I'm Jesus. Like I'm the one that does all the signs and wonders. And he kind of is like, come on guys, duh. This is like, I'm about to work a miracle here. He, he basically says they're blind. And, and so when we see that, that Jesus has 12 baskets left over and that everyone, like Andrew said, and Philip said, you know, it's going to take, you know, uh, eight months wages to get just a little bite. But then Jesus performs a miracle where everyone was able to eat until they had enough. And then on top of that, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. That's crazy. So Jesus is kind of like, let me show you the miracle, and let me like definitely show you a miracle. And all of that is really helpful for us to really understand what's going on there. I mean, obviously, I didn't mention the one biggest tipping point of the whole thing was a little kid with a lunch, right? But let's uh, look, and you can follow along on your page there. Um, a few, I've got five things that I took from this, and I think it's going to help us to understand how do we remove the friction from our generosity so that we can live open-handed with our stuff. Because materialism is an enemy of your soul. Number one, God tests us to refine our faith, never to tempt us. You'll see where Jesus said in the scripture, it says that Jesus asked that question to test Philip. And really was refining Philip's faith in Jesus. How much do you trust me? How much are you willing to surrender to me? And so this is always, always, always a thing. That God is going to test us 
by, in, in order to refine our faith. And really, when you look at the fact that Jesus talks about money and possessions over 800 times, this is a lot. Like, he is focused on this. This is a thing. A lot of times, the challenge and the testing comes from our possessions or our finances. Um, Malachi 3.10 is a classic example where God and money and finances and giving and stuff and all of that becomes uh, an environment for testing. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. So this is the refining of the faith that we want. We want to be able to say, okay, God, you, this is the only place you say to test you. And we have a, a way and we have a, a heart to live open-handed with our stuff. This is the kind of heart change that, causes, that Jesus causes in us. So number two, it's easier to give the sooner you start. So if you're a college student in here, listen up. If you're a high school student here, listen up some more. If you are a student, uh, elementary kid in the clubhouse back there, listen up. Because the sooner you start to give, the easier it is. Notice who the tipping point of this miracle is all about. A little boy with a lunch. There were how many men there? 5,000. None of them are the tipping point of the miracle, but this little boy with a lunch. You know, his mom loved him. He's like, you know what, here's a lunch. Go see Jesus. He's the tipping point. You see, it's easier to give. To, it's easier to um, just remove that friction of things controlling you and finding meaning in all the stuff you have the sooner you start to live open-handed. We see an example of how tough it is when we look at the, the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. After Jesus and he talk, basically he's like, hey, man, I, I, I keep all the commandments. What do you want me to do now? And Jesus says, well, why don't you do this? Sell all of your possessions and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. This, remember, is the rich young ruler. Let's throw it down. Maybe he's 25, 30. It had already gripped his heart and gripped his soul in such a way that he could not choose to follow Jesus. Because why? Because his possessions owned him as much as he owned his possessions. And so the sooner you start, the easier it is to release your stuff to God. Some of us need to start today. Number three, don't settle for being a footnote in a miracle. All right? So, all right, everybody say rabbit trail. Cool. All right, so here you go. You ready for this? There were 5,000 men there. Scholars would say, probably with women and children, probably 10,000 people there, okay? So there were, listen, put it in your head, there were 10,000 people there. Are you telling me that this little boy was the only one that had a lunch? Out of 10,000 people? Just so happened that his mom loved him most, right? And gave him a lunch, but nobody else had a mom that loved them. Or they didn't. So let me just say it this way. Let's just say, if just because, I mean, again, rabbit trail, right? Let's just say there was one person, one adult that had lunch that day. Can we, can we say maybe that was possible? And they didn't give their lunch. 
but they hid it. Maybe they were going to sneak it later and eat it later. Maybe they were going to like just hopefully not let anybody see that they had lunch and they're like, man, there's a lot of people here and I don't know what to do with it. I need to hide this thing. I need to hold on to it so I can eat later when Jesus is done talking, you know, whatever. And, and the whole time that's happening, all of a sudden you start getting served food as much as you wanted, as much as you wanted. And here you are holding on to your lunch. You know, I think we see that it's easier to give the sooner you start. But I think I don't want, and I don't believe that anybody in the room wants to settle on being a footnote in a miracle, but we want to be the tipping point. I mean, how many of us are saying, like, I want to be the little boy, right? But there were thousands of people there, and there had to be at least one other person maybe a thousand other people that had lunches that they sat on, that they hid, that they didn't want anyone to know about. Maybe they were eating in front of people saying, ha ha, you don't have anything, I do. And here's the thing, on top of all that, they're just a footnote. I mean, I was a part of the 10,000, man, it was awesome. It's a lot different than saying, I'm the little boy that gave the lunch and God multiplied it. He took the little lunch and he he fed 10,000 people with it. It was awesome. I want to be that kid, right? The other thought is this, is that God's grace covers our failures. I'm going to, in in all the New Testament and even in the Old Testament throughout Scripture, the question you should always be asking is, where is God's grace in this story? So here you are, rewind, rewind. Rabbit trail. You're hiding your lunch, right? You're hiding your lunch. And while you're hiding your lunch, you're being blessed. You're being blessed with a meal that you already have a meal, but you're getting another meal, and you're eating as much as you want, and you're eating until you're full. And not only that, but there are 12 basketfuls left over. What's amazing is that God's grace. How many of you have ever like messed up and like purchased a timeshare you never should have? Or like you purchased like the beater car? My first car, I paid $700 for it. The guy said, all it needs is someone to, to drive the beep out of it, man. That's all it needs. And just go ahead and take it. Got it. Paid 700 bucks. Guess what? It needed another $1,000 of work to get it to run right. I'm like, what in the world? Have you ever made a mistake with money? Have you ever made a mistake with possessions? We all have, right? But do you know that God's grace covers us in those failures and that he wants to bless us even though we're a mess? Somebody's got to have some good news in that whole package right there because what does that do? It opens up the big picture for us and it helps us see that God isn't waiting with a baseball bat for us to screw up, but he's sitting with us and saying, okay, how do we work on this together, right? Kate, how do we work together on this? And the grace is there, and it's a room of grace. And that should cause us to see the big picture, to place value on what God's relationship with us looks like, so we're appreciating it more, and we're grateful for it. Are you guys catching on? So um, let's see, the fifth thing is this, if there's a big idea today, it's probably this, that God meets the needs of his people through the inadequate gifts of his inadequate people. And I got this from some meetings that we're in this week with Christian Missionary Fellowship um, in uh, in Denver, Dave and Valerie and I, and Sarah and I were were in uh, in Denver for some meetings. Christian Missionary Fellowship is the... um, 
kind of like partner organization with Mission of Hope International, which is our partner in Kenya. And so we've got a team going there in June. And so Ruben is one of the uh, Kenyans that were there, and he talked about this piece of it. And I, I love the way that this is worded out, that God meets the needs of his people through the inadequate gifts of his inadequate people. So this little boy, he himself is inadequate. He can't feed all these people. Not only that, but his gift is definitely inadequate. Five loaves, two fish is never going to feed everybody. But somehow God multiplies those resources, right? He multiplies when we give and we put our gifts into Jesus' hands. Jesus makes something happen. In these meetings in, uh, with uh, CMF and Missions of Hope, um, we got to meet Mary and Wallace, who were the, uh, the uh, founders, really, of Mission of Hope. And they began this ministry 18 years ago. And at that moment, um, Mary, was her only goal was to open up a school for 50 kids. This week, her system and the way her ministry that she's created, on top of all the other things she does... The Missions of Hope does with his microfinancing and starting businesses in the Mathari Valley, they will have 16,000 students this week attend school. One thing that I found when I was in these meetings is that this American, kind of generally American ministry, CMF, is literally trying to catch up and are running after Mary and Wallace because their vision is so amazing and big and insane that they can't even keep up with them because they have such a big picture of what God could do. And they believe this with all of their heart, that God meets the needs of his people through the inadequate gifts of his inadequate people. This is how how God's system works, that we believe that when we put those gifts, when we put those lunches in Jesus' hands, that he multiplies those resources. And some of us are like, well, I'm an economics major and a finance major, and I am a math major, and that all doesn't add up. But I'm telling you guys, if you would have told Mary 18 years ago that you're going to start with 50, and in 18 years you're going to have 16,000 kids in schools, she would have said, you're, you're an idiot. I don't believe you. Maybe not, because she's crazy. She probably said, yeah, with Jesus, he could do that. Sarah, why don't you come up? Um, we're, we're trying to see um, what does this look like for us in our context. Here we are in America. Here we are at second place. Here we are in this beautiful warehouse, right? And how do we see an inadequate gift begin to meet the needs of people? And so um, one of the big ways to do that is to understand, like, this warehouse has been a part of our DNA for eight years. And we absolutely are blessed by it. We're blessed to have it. We don't own it. Yet. Yet. <laughs> but we, we have it, and we have it 24-7, 365. And it's empty 90% of the time. Think about that. I, I Sidebar, I, I walk through some, some days, and I think about, the, the vibe difference of when you all are here and when it's empty. And like, I'm just like, man, there's so much life when we're all together. But man, it's very quiet when you walk through in an empty warehouse. So how do we, how do we take the warehouse and turn it outward to open up our hands and not hold on to it and be like, oh, don't touch it, but to somehow use it to reach people? We open a child care center. 
I think that's what we do. I mean, um, we've talked about dreams of what, what God's called second place to, and we have notes from oh, five, six years ago of crazy ideas, crazy notions, and um, child care was on there. And it just, it seems that this is the right time, that this is the right um, setting. Amazon went in, and all of a sudden we have access to more people that, that work at Amazon than actually live in the city of Moni. Isn't that funny? I mean, Moni's awesome. Uh, we've often wondered, like, why did God place us in, like, the middle of cornfields and bean fields? I love them. Don't get me wrong. I probably should have been a farmer. But um, we're urban. Like, we, we're we a regional church. We're right off of 57. This is, you know, a, a location ideal for some of that. But we questioned why we were here. And then Amazon went in. And I don't think we could have. Well, I know we couldn't have made that happen. We could have never said, hey, let's put in a huge facility over here so that we can influence you for Christ. Um, and yet they go in, and now all of a sudden they're saying, our greatest need is child care. Our employees are asking for child care. That's the biggest thing that we hear from them. And we say, oh, we have a facility. And he says, can you get more space? I was like, yeah, you know what? We're going to start with what we have. That's what we're going to do. We're going to start right here. And um, we put up some walls and we put in some windows and said, I think it's time to open the doors and just see what God does here. And I think that the scary part is my lunch feels very, very inadequate. I mean, the conversation about how are we even going to pay for walls and electricity to go in? I mean, these things feel so stupid on one hand. Because you talk to the people in Kenya and they're putting up shanties that are like nothing. And they're like, okay, here we got a school. Well, we live in America and that doesn't fly. So um, we have other costs that go with that. And it feels overwhelming and daunting. And yet the, the drive, the dream, the burden is like, we've got to get this going now. We need to open this now. Because I think it gives us the opportunity to be Jesus to the world. If we can stop for a minute and think about how a child coming in here is not only influenced by the love and the care and the meals that they get here, but that that turns around and influences an entire family. And then that family turns around and influences their outer circle family and friends. And who knows what happens around the world when we take the time to invest in a child's life. We know what's happening in Kenya, and it's blowing up like crazy good because they chose to invest in the lives of these children and knew that it changes a society, it changes a culture, it changes a home. And God's giving us that opportunity. He's opening that door. And I think the selfish part of us could be like, well, that's going to be a mess in here. Someone's going to have to figure out how to get this church reset for the weekend. And um, they could break things, and those things are inevitable. Or we can say, get them in here. We figure that stuff out after we get it going, and we see how God changes lives. Is that good? Yeah. I'm I'll come board. back and preach later. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. 
So let's kind of like get this more personal. So I was uh, reading, uh, just kind of as I'm working through these messages and things, I was reading a book and the author said that um, it's interesting that God allows us to set our salaries. And I was like, whoa, let me reread that. What do you mean that God lets us set our salaries? What his point was is that, well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, the way that most of us operate is like when we're in college and we're trying to get graduated and we're trying to like get our first job, all we're trying to do is pay our bills, right? Like just survive. Ramen noodles, grilled cheese, pay my bills, right? But then as you get increase and as you get a salary that is, allows you to do the things you want to do, what we s- typically do, and this is culture, right, speaking to us, is what we typically do is we, we adjust our lifestyle to the salary that, we're, that we are given. So we've been living without so, for so long, finally we have enough money to buy a car. Man, I'm buying a car. You all know the, person, the people run through your mind who, who have done this. Or you know what, you get a salary, you know, a promotion, you get a new job, and all of a sudden you're able to buy a house, and you buy the house. And everything that we add into our lifestyle is based upon how much money we make. But here's the interesting thing. Could God someday, or right now, be saying to you that you make this much money, but I'm allowing you and trusting you to adjust your salary to where it needs to be. And maybe some of us need to say, our salary, we could live off of this and we could give away the rest. We could start something with the rest. We could bless someone with the rest. This is, I think, something that's so foreign to us that we don't even know how to process that. But I want you to think about why is it that we had meetings with a Kenyan ministry in America Think about the logic. The reason is because this is where the resources are. We have, a, we have been blessed with a country where we're able, the, the sky is the limit, you guys, for what God could do in your life and wants to do in your life. And there's going to be a time when we're going to have to say, and remember what they did when they were eating all of their lunches? It said when they had had, when they had, had enough, then they started collecting. All of the people that were eating of God's blessing were able to say, okay, enough is enough. Let's go ahead and collect the extra and give it away. See, I think sometimes when we allow culture to disciple us in the area of our possessions, our things, and our desires, we find meaning and value in the more money that we can make. The person who dies with the most toys wins. This is not what Jesus is teaching. This is not what uh, our, our leader is wanting us to go towards, but to allow us to be able to say, you know what, I give you a blessing. I give you increase, and I trust you with it. And you'll fail many times, but I trust you to know when enough is enough, when you've been fed enough and you need to feed others. So let's, let's get this and buckle this down, and we'll get to worshiping and asking God to, to really work in us. Acts 2 is a, is a passage that we often see. I just want to read it quickly so you guys can see kind of like the difference, because I think there's a stark difference between the little boy and his lunch and the early church. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Key. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They were saying, 
I have found that I have enough. I have now this property. I have this possession that I'm going to now sell it to help others. They understood that concept. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. If you've ever been to the Watson's Growth Group, we eat together with glad and sincere hearts. It's awesome. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So as they were unleashing the grip that they had on their stuff, as they were seeing signs and wonders happening, this is what the environment was. They were unleashing that and God was blessing them. So what's the big deal here? I kind of feel like the little boy, it's hard to say that that was a sacrifice. I think it probably was for a little boy to sacrifice his lunch, but he was probably going to get one the next day. This early church move, this is, man, this is more like, hey, I'm selling this property, I'm selling these possessions. This is this is digging deep. But what was it about them that they understood? Number one, they appreciated the things that they had and they used it for others. They also understood the big picture. They understood this is after Pentecost. This is after the Holy Spirit descends upon them. This is where they're seeing signs and wonder. This is unbelievable. So they have a heart change. And I think that's the biggest thing is for us to understand um, the heart to know that God owns it all. Psalm 89, 11 says the following, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all it contains, you have founded them. God owned it all, and, they, and he owns it all, and that's, they knew that. And so when they were selling their stuff, they were selling God's stuff to help in God's work. This is a crazy concept, but here's what I want you to understand. Whether it's a gift, I talked to somebody um, after first service, we're talking about, man, this is so important when it comes to talent, skills, and things that we have to hold those things back or to give those for others. But also, man, when you think about the fact that that little boy, in effect, gave Jesus' lunch back to Jesus and said, can you do something more with, the, with your lunch than I can? Because in my hands, it's just a lunch. Five loaves, two fish. And he puts Jesus' lunch, he owned the lunch, he gives it back to Jesus and Jesus multiplies it. So what? So what is the whole deal? I think the band can come up. The whole deal is all about this, guys. It's all about a heart change. It's all about a heart change. It's all about allowing our eyes of our heart to be changed when it comes to how we feel, how we act, how we think, and what we believe about our possessions. That we no longer are going to be defined and find meaning and value in stuff. And I will tell you right now, I'll tell you right now, there's no doubt about it, that this message is for right now today, for this unique fingerprint of who's in the room. And the reason why I know that is because of just like what happened yesterday. Like we're, I'm working on this message, materialism stuff, like thinking about it all and buttoning it up and finalizing things. And Sarah calls me and literally our van completely died. Just gave up the ghost. I mean, it's only got 265,000 miles on it, but hey, that's all right. And I, was, I hung up the phone with her, and I just thought of the, the words that I had, had written down for this message. It says, God always tests us to refine our faith. And I was like, you know what? God, it's a van. 
I mean, my first reaction was like, oh, no. But my quick reflex was, it's just a van. God owned that van. He owns all the vans. So what's the big deal? Scripture says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the hills. And my father-in-law always likes to say, we need him to sell a few cattle right now. Um, but so what for you? I think this is where you got to personalize this message. you got to be like, hey, exciting child care center. Ah. But what does it mean for you? Because I really feel like the intensity of this message and the, what it took to bring it is important. So number one, you could, you could pray about the child care center. Turning the warehouse outward. This is your family. This is our story. You could join the 40-day giving challenge. Today is day 26. And we have been challenging each other to save a dollar a day or give up more a day than that or to tithe for the first time. You, can, you have so many practical ways to reach out and to, to be generous. Serve at the Children's Hunger Fund this Saturday from 12 to 2. You can invite a bajillion people to the case for Christ this week, right? I mean, anybody got a bajillion friends? I'm sure you do. And that postcard is so important because it's handwritten. Nobody ever gets a handwritten note in the mail anymore. We have a Facebook event, but that'd be so cool. Or you could give radically to the Easter offering. You know, I think that these are practical ways. I mean, if you don't walk out changed today, and you don't walk out changed in allowing the Word of God to change you, you know what? Um, I guess, I, guess I, I said in the last service, I said, just don't, just skip next week because it's not, it's not doing, like, you're, there's nothing happening. Sleep in. But I might tell you something different this service. I might tell you to keep coming because sometimes our heart is calloused and the grip of culture is so tight and the discipling that happens for 167 hours a week is all about, it's, you know what, it's not about anything else except about what you're wearing and what you're driving, and what your house looks like, and what the inside of your house looks like. And in reality, God owns it all. And he wants to give you an increase in order for you to bless. And so God gives us a stinky old warehouse, we're going to figure out a way to bless. God gives you what you have, figure out a way to bless. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for so so clearly showing us today, God, that it doesn't take much for you to move, that you multiply resources. Lord, I know and I believe that this room is full of people that don't want to be a footnote to a miracle. They, want, they don't want to say, yeah, I was there. They want to say, yeah, I was there, but I was the little kid. I was the kid with the lunch. I was the kid with the skill. I was the kid with the possession. I was the kid with the money. I was the kid with the, the talent that I took, and I put it in the hands of Jesus, and Jesus multiplied it. I was the tipping point. Lord, use us in that way. Take the lens and clear the lens of our hearts that never is going to totally see clearly until we see you face to face, God. But just for, Lord, for this moment, give us clarity around what it is that you want us to do based on what we've read today. How should we live differently this week, Lord God, because of what we've read? Lord, as we sing these songs, these songs, Lord, are, are powerful and they're meant, Lord God, to really put our faith in you over and over again. You are all in all. Lord, nothing in this world matters more than you. And Lord, for those of us that are bound in chains around 
the things of this earth and the, the, the desire to have possessions, Lord, Lord, your name is where the power is and you have the power to break those chains and to allow us to, to release the white-knuckled grip that we have on our stuff and to release it to you. Because there's one thing, Lord God, that causes this break to happen in our generosity is that's when we get radical with it. So Lord, I pray right now that if we need to find a spot in the warehouse to just do business with you, to evaluate where we're at with our with our possessions, Lord God, with our goals in our life and what we're trying to do. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to release radical generosity in some way, shape, or form, Lord God, as we continue to sing and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of us are dealing with some poverty or scarcity mentality that has got to be broken. So we could go back and sing Break Every Chain, but I think that if we can get down in our soul that God is giving us some dreams, he's birthing some things and it's not for our own gain. It's not for us to have more material wealth. He wants to increase. And some of you need to hear that right now. He's given you dreams, he's given you goals, he's given you some visions and he is going to meet those dreams, goals and visions. He is going to resource them he is going to give above and beyond. When that lunch was brought to Jesus, Jesus didn't just feed them until they were full. There was abundance. So your dreams are going to be funded. They're going to have the resources they need, but not for you to have enough, but for you to have abundance to give above and beyond because there is a work that needs to be done. There are lives that need to be changed. There are families that need to be restored. And he is going to accomplish that through us. So he's got to set some fire in us. He's got to get it deep down in us. And we've got to trust that the more we know him, the more we seek him, the more we find him, the more he blesses us to be a blessing. Some of you, you're getting your degrees. You've got, you know the plan. You've got a strategy. And that's not it. It's just the beginning. It's just the start of what he's wanting to do. Let him set a fire in you. Seek him. Seek him with all that you are. And we are going to pray for an increase, for that blessing to come. Not so that we hoard, keep it here but there's no more poverty mentality. There's no more acting out of scarcity. Our Father has more than enough for us and we're going to operate out of that and we're going to just open our hands and say, take my lunch. Inadequate as it is, as inadequate as I am, take it, take all of it, increase so that others can be blessed. Father, we lack nothing. We have all in you. Father, we bring you our lunch whatever things that we have, our giftings, our abilities, our money, our possessions, we bring them all to you. And we say, do a miracle. Do something beyond me. Do something that's beyond my family. Do something that's a legacy. We're not footnotes. We're leaving it all in your hand, Jesus. Open doors for jobs. Bring increase to those who are underemployed. Give visions and dreams 
to your people so that we can be about your business, so we can bring heaven to earth, so that we don't wait for you to come back, but we meet you and we bring you here and we say, Jesus, change this earth and use my gift to do that change. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're here with us, that you promise to lead us, that you promise to guide us. Set that flame deep inside of us. Don't let any comment, don't let any deterrent come in and squelch that flame, but fan that flame. Help us to trust you with the little that we have and do amazing, great miracles. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Hope you all have a wonderful, blessed week.